Our scripture reading this morning is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This is the word of the Lord. You would probably never guess it from looking at me. I don't run. <laughs> In fact, I hate running. No. I loathe with every fiber of my being the whole idea of running. I despise it so much that you can tell it's been years, decades even, since I have run. Don't get me run. I understand that sometimes running may be necessary. You might have to run to catch a train. You might have to run to catch a flight. You might have to run to catch a child who has, there it is again, run out into the street. You might have to flee from peril. I understand you. if a bear is chasing me, I will run. Those, those ideas make sense to me. They, I get that. But do you know that there are people in this very church who run, not for any of those reasons, but they run, they say, for the fun of it. I'm not talking about people who say running, the act in and of itself is, in, is something they do for their health, something they do for the well-being. They say, no, this is something I do for recreation. I do because... In my mind, I enjoy pain. <laughs> you know, maybe they're looking for the runner's high. Maybe they are you know, relish the self-discipline that their passion requires. One thing is certain. To run for the fun of it, to endure the pain and the fatigue, to focus on finishing requires more than just the idea that, you know, I'm going to do this. It requires more than just gritting your teeth and pushing on. There's got to be a prize that makes it all worthwhile. But none of those things appeal to me in running. I, I, I honestly, it so mystifies me. Okay, Vic, why do you run? It's part of my DNA. Words fail me. Wow. Uh, 
Okay, let me ask the rest of you. If it were part of your DNA, is that a good enough reason for the rest of you to want to run? (laughs) Well, in this passage, the writer of Hebrews compares the Christian life to a race, a foot race, to running. He acknowledges obstacles and hazards, but he calls us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. So this morning, I want to ask you, why should we run? Why should we face discouragement, subdue our own desires, to pay the price of being a Christian? I'll tell you, we run the race because the prize is worthy of the cost. We run because the prize is worth the cost. We run the race that God has set before us. It, you know, what does it look like? What is, what is this race the writer of Hebrews is, is describing? It's a costly race. It's difficult. It's hard. It will take everything you've got to give and honestly a whole lot more. In order to win this race, in order to stay in it, requires three things that you can find here in the passage. Three things that it takes to win the prize. First is sacrifice. There is a sacrifice that the runner makes. Second, there's discipline. There's a discipline that the runner undergoes to make sure that he keeps on the course, that he finishes the job before him. Finally, there's a focus. I don't know if you've watched, ever watched a, a, a foot race, a marathon. Those guys are not running down the road looking behind them. Their eyes are set forward. There's a focus involved in winning, running a race. So we're going to look at the sacrifice, the discipline, the focus this morning. What kind of a sacrifice does the Christian life require? What does it take to win this race. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish men and women living in Rome who were facing persecution for being Christians. Chapter 12, verse 4 points out that they had not yet come to the point of shedding their blood in their struggle for sin. What was the writer talking about? In the time that this book was written, Judaism was a protected religion. If you were Jewish, you had the might of the Roman Empire saying, okay, you're established, we won't pick on you. Christianity was not. So the temptation that these men and women were facing was as the the Roman authorities came down harder and harder on Christians because they were, frankly, a disruptive influence in the Roman Empire. They were breaking down distinctions between master and slave, between men and women, between Romans and non-Romans, saying we are all one in Christ. That was subversive. So the Romans would come to the Christians and say, all right, you're causing trouble. You're going to jail. How to get out of that? Simply say, me? I'm not Christian. I'm Jewish. Mazel tov. 
Wouldn't it be easy to cling to your ethnic identity and deny Christ? What could Christian, Christianity offer that would possibly be worth the price of losing your job, losing your home, losing your freedom, maybe even losing your life? Even today, there are costs associated with following Christ. You try to keep the Sabbath. You seek to protect the life of the unborn. You care for the sick, the elderly, or the poor. Do you try to do your work, your job, not as though you work for your employer, but as though you work for God? You may wind up sacrificing the respect of coworkers, of your friends, even family, if you insist on following Christ. Allow me to sharpen the focus a little more, to dig the point in a little deeper. We're in the process of nominating men for the positions of elder and deacon in this church. Service church officers. Some of you may have already been nominated, in fact. Maybe you should ask what that calling entails. You will feel the weight of the needs of others like never before. You will lose sleep as you agonize in prayer. You will lose heart as you see human frailty and, frail, frailty and failings, not least your own. You will search your heart and rack your brain as you come to the end of your compassion, your wisdom, and your strength. And no matter what you do, you can rest assured that someone will find fault with your efforts your words, question even your motivation, and no matter how much you do, no matter how hard you try, you can never meet all the needs. The work neither ends nor diminishes. If you've already been nominated, let me urge you to take stock. Think this over. It will be harder and more wearisome than you can imagine. The Apostle Paul spoke of the weight of carrying all the cares of the churches on his shoulders. But even the cares of a single congregation in the community in which we live can break the back of the strong. That's just the church officers. What about the Christian men? What about... Wade, coming up and talking about serving at summer camp. What about some of you young fathers trying to lead your families, learning what it is to gather for prayer, to pray with and for your kids, pray with your wife? All of these are ways in which men lead. What about women? Oh my goodness. Few husbands have what it takes to sacrifice the way their wives do. My wife was a very smart, very successful engineer. But she sacrificed her career to stimulating work, the close friends, the prestige, the pay, to come home and care for our kids, to support me in my work as a pastor. 
She did this for 10 years. You know what? She will never get that time back. She made that sacrifice for the sake of our kids, for the sake of my work, because she saw that that work, that was the work that God had for her at that time in our lives. If, guys, if you don't think that's a sacrifice, think of how you feel every spring when the women go on retreat. And you're the one who has to find all the socks, wipe all the noses, and other things. Get everybody dressed into church alive and at least somewhat on time. You got there before the benediction. And our wives do it all the time. Following the Christian life is expensive, it is costly, it is hard. Serving is hard. So why bother? Why would anybody in their right mind serve? Because in this serving, whether as an officer, as a man, as a woman, you show others the compassion, wisdom, and care of Christ. Because in serving, you will know more of your Savior than you ever would if you play it safe. The sacrifice pales in comparison with the reward. But sacrifice alone will not win a race. You can give everything you've got and still be short when it comes time to finish. Winning requires not only sacrifice, but discipline. Look with me at verses 4 and 6. Here the writer establishes the importance of discipline. He goes so far as to say that if you're not experiencing discipline in your life, let, let me clarify this. A lot of us think of discipline as being when you are punished for something in some way. Discipline is also saying, here's the right way. This is how to live. This is what to do. Don't do those things. Do these things. That is the discipline that a coach gives his, his team. He doesn't sit there and just beat on them saying, you know, be better players. He tells them what it is to be a better player. What are the basics of the game? What are the rules? What are the fundamentals? This is the discipline that is, is primarily in focus here. It's instruction plus correction. Here's what to do, and if you don't do it, let's get back on course. Why is that important? Why does the writer of Hebrews say, if you're not disciplined, you're not a son. In the Roman world, the father's sons, specifically the oldest son, were vitally important. While, the daughter, while daughters might be used to establish alliances with other families, it was the son, specifically the heir, who received the inheritance, who carried on the family name, who would be responsible for the gain in prestige or decline into infamy of the family name. So the father would work hard to train his sons, teaching them all that he had learned to equip them for life ahead. Like a coach, he not only trained them, but challenged them, pressing them to excel, to honor the family name. Receiving this training, this discipline, was the mark of a son. 
If a man didn't train you that way, you weren't his kid. So why does this matter? According to the scriptures, we are counted by God, not just as his children, but as his sons, as his heirs, joint heirs, in fact, with Jesus Christ. And unlike the Roman culture, this status of heir isn't just for guys, it's for women too. For everyone who puts their trust in Christ Jesus is declared to be adopted into God's family and given that status of being sons of God, the heirs, the love of God. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. If you belong to him, you are an heir, a son. The proof of that adoption of, of sons is the discipline that our loving Heavenly Father gives us day in and day out. So what does that discipline look like? You know, we're not only nominating officers, we're also in the process of searching for and calling a new pastor. As I mentioned last Sunday, the search committee is working hard, and I am tremendously encouraged by what God is doing, and I'm looking forward to the next report we can give you. We're working hard on the committee. In fact, we're trying to work ourselves out of a job. I know that you too are all eager to conclude this search to call a pastor and see where the Lord is taking us. But there's a hazard here. Whenever a church calls a pastor, the temptation is that the congregation will say, great, the new guy is here. We can finally sit back and catch our breath because he's here to do the work. And he certainly has a lot of work to do, quite a job. The primary work of the pastor, though, is not to do the work of the saints, but to equip them, to equip us with the work of ministry. Consider that the average attendance of this church has been pushing 200 over this last year. Caring for that many people is more than any one individual can handle. It's, it's too great a load. Think about this. Which of you would like to have the responsibility of caring for double the size of your family? I'm not talking about just doubling the number of your children. Caring for elderly or ailing parents. Caring for that weird uncle who makes bad jokes. Dealing with double the number of disputes and conflicts, double the number of illnesses in and of, in, amongst your family, double with the financial needs and stresses. It makes me tired just thinking about it. And yet, would you take the load of this entire congregation and drop it on one man? That would be crazy. That would be absolutely nuts. So the way that we get past that, the way that we become disciplined for the race, the way that we learn how to run to win is by letting the pastors equip us. Listen to Sam and Roman. They don't preach to hear themselves talk. They labor to bring God's word to bear on our hearts, on our lives. 
I cannot begin to tell you how much respect I have for these men. Sam deals with topics that would make many of us faint. And sometimes, Sam, you do it in ways that do make us faint, but that's okay. <laughs> you, your intentions are, 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 you have a shepherd's heart. You want us to be equipped for the work before us, to know what does a biblical family look like? What does it mean to be a Christian man or woman? What does it mean to be, oh my goodness, civil in discussing politics or, or current issues? And you work week in and week out to bring those things to bear in our lives. Look at Roman. Every time he preaches, his messages are dripping with the compassion and grace of our Lord. I've been a Christian for way longer than he's been alive. I never get tired of hearing that. I never stop needing to hear that. These pastors are bringing to bear the discipline of God upon us. They are equipping us for the work of ministry so that when we go talk to our co-workers, we can discuss the hard issues without saying, you're a, junk, a jerk and you dress funny too. When we discuss the plight of the poor, we can do more than say, go in peace, be warm and filled. Instead, we see the burdens of the lost and we feel them as our own. We see them as sheep without a shepherd and we have compassion as our shepherd has had on us. And because we're being equipped by our pastors, we can go and show that compassion, that love, that grace to others. They can't do it alone, though. They can't do all the work that we're called to do themselves. And the new guy, when he comes, he won't be able to either. Even vigorous young men can grow weary and drop out of a race. But if we join them in their labor, can you imagine what God will do in your life, in the life of your family, in our community? As 200 plus people become so gripped by the grace of the gospel, so possessed of the love of our Father, they, we go out and sacrifice not random acts of kindness, but purposeful, deliberate acts to say, here is the love of God being shown to you so that they will know that there is a Savior, so that they will know there is hope in life in Jesus Christ. Well, sacrifice and discipline are necessary for the Christian life to run this race, but even those two great things themselves will not be enough to help you finish it. To, in order to do that, there's got to be a little bit of hope. There's got to be a prize. There's got to be something for you to focus on as you pursue the course. We face discouragement and exhaustion in, this, in the Christian life. I mentioned earlier that there's always more to do. There's always more than we can do. So how do you keep going? How do you avoid dropping out? You focus on the prize. Look with me at verse 2. Jesus knew what lay ahead. 
time after time, he would speak to the disciples and say, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to Jerusalem to die. He knew that he would be rejected. He knew that even his disciples would abandon him. He knew that he would die for crimes that he did not commit, for guilt that was not his. So what kept him going? Where did he find the discipline that drove his sacrifice? The text tells us that Jesus did it for the prize, for the joy that was set before him. What was this joy that, he, that the writer of Hebrews speaks of? The scriptures tell us that Jesus came not just to seek, but to save the lost. His father, Joseph, was commanded to name his son Jesus because Jesus would save his people from their sin. He endured the scorn of his people, the rejection of the religious and political leadership, the hardships of the miseries of this life, because he knew that he would not lose a single soul that the father had given him. He knew that this is eternal life, to know the Father and the one whom he has sent. He knew that he was going to die, but that his Father would not only raise him from the dead, but that all those sinners for whom he died would be united with him in eternal life and holiness forever. This was the joy set before him. It is our joy too. For Jesus, joy was being his Father's son. Think about that. To know his father, to be accepted of his father, to be loved by his father. That was joy, but it's not all of it. For Jesus' joy was bringing all of us to the father as well. Where we are named sons. Where we get to know and glorify and enjoy God forever. Heaven is not sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. Heaven is knowing God, being known by God, and knowing that as, God, as your father looks at you, he's not going, that's not my kid. He's saying, you belong to me. I sent my son for you. And I am delighted that you are here. I put my name on you. You belong to me. On those days that I'm broken, that's a message I need to hear. Those who live, you know, okay, let's be honest. Some of you may be sitting there right now going, Paul, that's just pie in the sky. What has that got to do with life here? What does it matter? I can't touch heaven. So what joy, what kind of a prize is that? Let me challenge you. Those who live in prosperity and good health a lot of times don't have much use for heaven. But those who live on the edge, those whose lives are broken, those who go to bed hungry every night and wake up hungrier, those whose bodies are beaten They're the ones for whom suddenly heaven becomes a reality, a present hope. 
My dad suffered for decades from a debilitating progressive illness. He lost the ability to work, the ability to walk, the ability to drive. He lost his independence. He didn't lose his sense of humor. I helped him with that. But I remember one day, just a year or two before he died, it was his birthday, and I called him and said, Happy birthday, Dad. How's it going? Well, it had been a hard day. And so I reminded him, well, at least you had another birthday. That's better than the alternative. And you know what? It was a long pause. My dad responded, not always. He had no suicidal tendencies. He was not saying, I want death with dignity. He was not saying, I'm giving up. He was saying, there is something better for me. There is a prize at the end of this race. And I long for the day when I break that tape and finish the course God has put before me. In our country, slaves were known for their spirituals. Songs that they sang while they were working. We sing some of them, well, when I was in school, we would sing some of them. But let me tell you, they weren't zippity-doo-dah ditties. They weren't sitting there trying to make life better through the positive power of positive thinking. They were cries of lament. Songs filled with sorrow and the realities of the hardship that they faced. And in them, they cried out to a father who loved them. Bring me home. Save me from this. Those who live on the edge need to know that something better awaits. So what is that something better? What is our prize? Christ is our prize. To know him, to be known by him. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, ran with endurance the race set before him, laying aside every weight that might hold him back, casting aside the sin which would have entangled him. For the joy set before him, he that faced ridicule, scorn, and rejection, he suffered the cross and the power of death, despising the shame, until the Father himself raised his son from the grave, rolled that stone away from the tomb, and seated Jesus Christ at his right hand forever. You know what? When he did that, he gave the church to his son as his prize. That day that every young man looks forward to, son, go get your bride. Those of you who have been married, do you remember that moment when you turned around and saw the woman that you dreamed up at the back of the, of the sanctuary. That's the prize Jesus sees. That's the prize that he treasures. That was the prize to draw us in and be with him and his father forever. Are you weary? Do you feel like your service and sacrifice are in vain? The father points to his son and says, Christ's sacrifice is accepted. The penalty is paid. The curse is done, done, undone. 
Are you discouraged? Do you feel like your discipline isn't up to the task? The Holy Spirit says to you, I am with you. I will equip you. I will correct you. I will bring you home. After all, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have gone before us and said, this word is trustworthy and true. He is the joy we seek. He is the one who gives value and meaning to our sacrifice. He is the one who lovingly disciplines us, preparing us for the life we are to live. He is the one who is the prize that awaits us at the end. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we act as though everything depends upon us and we forget that you're in the equation. So often when we serve, we do it in our strength and when that runs out, we just give up. Lord, we started this church with the idea that unless you establish the work of our hands, our labor is in vain. But it is not. You have established us in Christ. In him, you will bring us home. Thank you. In Christ's name.